every Monday to Friday. This is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk. Good morning. I hope you had a great long weekend. This is Peter Lewis welcoming you to my podcast, Money Talk, for Tuesday, the 2nd of May. And this podcast, as always, is sponsored by Surfing Group, which is headquartered in Singapore and offers online financial services to 30 million customers across 10 countries. Here's a catch-up of the business and finance headlines from over the long weekend. JP Morgan Chase has taken over San Francisco-based First Republic after the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation confirmed that the bank had collapsed on Monday. JP Morgan will now take on all of the deposits and substantially all of the assets of First Republic Bank, the FDIC said. The US Federal Reserve is set to raise interest rates by 25 basis points later this week as two key gauges showed persistent US inflation pressures in recent months. According to the CME's FedWatch, traders are pricing odds of 91% of a quarter of a percentage point hike, taking the Fed funds rates to a target range of 5% to 5.25%. That's the highest level since 2007. The latest purchasing managers surveys from China showed a surprise contraction in factory activity in April. China's official manufacturing PMI fell unexpectedly below the 50 line that separates expansion from contraction, falling to 49.2 from the previous month's 51.9 reading. Sunday's data showed the manufacturing sector is cooling at an unexpectedly fast rate. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Asian fund management industry consultant Stuart Allcroft, Richard Harris, Chief Executive Officer at Port Shelter Investment Management, and our US economics correspondent, writer and broadcaster Barry Wood. And if you want to get in touch, please go to my website, which is peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. On Wall Street, shares of U.S. regional banks fell on Monday after regulators seized struggling lender First Republic and sold $93.5 billion of its deposits and most of its assets to J.P. Morgan Chase. The second biggest bank failure in U.S. history wipes out all of First Republic's shareholders. The KBW index of regional banking stocks closed 2.6% lower. Smaller regional banks with similar vulnerabilities to First Republic took the brunt of the losses. PacWest closed almost 11% lower, while Western Alliance slipped 1.8%. Shares of J.P. Morgan rose 2.1%. The broader U.S. market was muted on a day when most markets in Europe and Asia were closed for a holiday. The S&P 500 ticked down under 0.1% to close at 4,168. The Dow dipped 46 points, or 0.1%, to end the session at 34,052. The Nasdaq Composite fell 0.1%, ending at 12,213. U.S. Treasury bonds came under pressure ahead of the next scheduled interest rate decision by the Fed, which is due in the early hours of Thursday morning Hong Kong time. The yield on the policy-sensitive two-year Treasury note was up seven basis points to 4.14%. The 10-year yield rose 12 basis points to 3.57%. And the U.S. Treasury said this morning that debt limit measures may run out by June the 1st. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen wrote in a letter to House Speaker Kevin McCarthy that new data on tax receipts has forced the Treasury to bring forward to early June its estimate of when the agency will be unable to continue to satisfy all of the government's obligations if Congress doesn't raise or suspend the debt limits before that time. Most Asian markets, including Hong Kong and mainland China, will close Monday for the Labor Day holiday. Mainland China markets will reopen Thursday, 
while Hong Kong will resume trading today. China saw its largest weekly equity inflow last week since January 2022, according to Bank of America. The firm says Chinese equity funds recorded 6.1 billion US dollars in inflows over the five trading days. Despite that, Chinese stocks were a prominent laggard among the world's major gauges. For the month of April, the Hang Seng Index ended 2.5% lower. The tech index slumped 9.3% over the month. And the MSCI China Index fell 5% last month, registering its worst April since 2004. And you can get more details on the latest market movements in my daily newsletter, which you'll find at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Let's welcome our guests. We have with us on this Tuesday morning our Asian fund management industry consultant, Stuart Allcroft. Morning to you, Stuart. Good morning, Peter. And also, we hope to have joining us soon, if we can wake him up, Richard Harris, who's Chief Executive Officer at Port Shelter Investment Management. But I know for sure that we do have over in Washington, D.C., our U.S. economics correspondent, (laughs) writer and broadcaster, Barry Wood. Good to hear your voice, Barry. Thank you. Good morning to you, Peter. Well, let's start over in the U.S. Um, J.P. Morgan Chase has taken over San Francisco-based First Republic after the FDIC said that it had collapsed. J.P. Morgan's going to take on all of the deposits and substantially all of the assets of First Republic after the California Department of Financial Protection and Innovation seized the bank and appointed the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation as receiver. First Republic is the third major U.S. bank to collapse in recent weeks, and it has some $233 billion in assets. So it's the second largest bank to fail in U.S. history after Washington Mutual in 2008. And Barry, um, what's caused this to happen? Why has the bank collapsed? Did it have a systemic problem, or was it just that customers panicked and all tried to get their money out at the same time? Yes, it was the latter. Unlike Silicon Valley Bank, All of this goes back to late February, early March. Unlike Silicon Valley, uh, First Republic was, um, you know, a blue chip bank. It had uh, very wealthy clients. It uh, had lots of uh, home mortgages. It was not guilty of any kind of uh, uh, overlooking of risk management. So when Silicon Valley became this victim of a run, in which people on their phone said, this is not going to work, and withdrew their money. That spread to First Republic up in San Francisco itself. The bank had 83 branches. It was awarded the uh, Best of the Year Award by the Bay Area business community. Its um, chairman was uh, lionized in the San Francisco community. So I think the answer to your question, Peter, is it was mostly contagion, the effect of panic by investors and depositors. And let's face it, all of the shareholders have been wiped out, but all of the depositors are being made whole because those loans, those uh, deposits are being guaranteed by federal authorities. And the government's saying that this isn't going to cost the taxpayer a single cent. Yeah, that may be. I think think, uh, what you can say about the strategy of the federal government is that it bought time. You know, this happened initially back in March, early March. Here we are, May 1st. And, uh, you know, 
Look at the shares of J.P. Morgan Chase. Clearly, investors think that uh, that bank is getting an asset that is worth something, despite taking on all the the loans. They're not necessarily bad loans, but uh, yeah, I think at least this this segment of the banking crisis in the states is over. I I would disagree with you, Barry, to the extent that if it's possible for um, a substantial bank like First Republic, in you know one of the top. Um, 15, 20 banks in, in the US, if it's possible for a bank which is um, regarded quite highly up until beginning of this year, um, if it's possible for it to lose so many deposits in such a short period of time, it could happen to almost any bank at all. Um, now, I, I, I doubt it would happen to any of the top three or five banks in the US, but it does mean that um, an element of contagion has now been created in in the banking community. Three banks in a month have gone, and they've gone because their depositors have taken their money away, and there's no restriction on them taking their money away, and that could happen to any other bank. So I think that the, the U.S. banking industry has got a crisis coming, and I think that it's um, it, it's going to have to work really, really hard to try to shore up confidence in their system. Um, undoubtedly, commentators, not us, because you know we're not that sort of commentator, but um, commentators are going to now be looking around all the other banks in, in the US and saying, who's next? And then who's going to be after that? And, and there's going to be a limit to the amount of rescue that can occur. Yes, it's good that uh, JP Morgan Chase were able to bail them out, uh, they may well have a relatively um, cheap or, or almost free of charge way of boosting their own assets and clients, but this is going to happen again, and um, uh, and, and I think this is where the big banks uh, will need to be prepared to do this again um, when another bank starts to announce it's got troubles, because clearly. As soon as you name any problem, it happens almost instantaneously with the way in which communications around the world, and especially in 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 US, are so quick. It's just instantaneous. People know there's a problem. Get my money out. So unless the banking system starts to place some sort of limit on how much you can take out at a time, which in itself will demonstrate that there's a problem, I think the the, the bank system in the U.S. Is, it has got a problem to deal with. It needs to deal with very, very urgently. So, so if yeah, I, I think you've made, a, you've made a lot of sense there, Stuart. Uh, that may indeed be the case. And I think the real uh, sleeper is uh, commercial real estate because uh, there's a lot of bad loans in city centers. The work from home has left lots of office space unfilled. Those loans are going bad, and most of those are held by regional banks. So you're, you're probably right that there's more trouble ahead. So it sounds like, from what you're saying, that the crisis will come again, but, it, but in a different way. I mean, Charlie Mungerberry was talking about commercial real estate, wasn't he, just the other day, saying he thought um, all the banks were stuffed with bad loans uh, with commercial real estate um, exposure. So what can the government and the regulators do uh, to make sure there isn't another crisis, albeit uh, trans uh, transpiring in a different way? 
Well, you know, you have to ask yourself, is this one of the reasons why many companies and now particularly banks are telling their employees that they've got to start going back into offices? Um, this is this is what's happening. Um, now, there are parts of the world, and Hong Kong is one of those, and Singapore, to some extent, is part of those, where people want to be back in their offices. Um, many of many of the office workers um, would prefer their office environment to to operate because their home environment is unsuitable for the type of work, particularly if they're working on computers and they live in small flats. Um, whereas in the US and Europe, people don't so much live in small flats. They may do in city centers, but not outside city centers. They have a bit more space and a bit more luxury. So this this is this is a um, much more of a Western uh, economy problem than an Asian economy problem. Isn't one of the problems of, of this now is that what, what it's doing is it's just making the big banks even bigger and even more risky. I mean, JP Morgan had to get an exemption to take over uh, First Republic because it already has more than 10% of all the deposits in the US. Isn't this the reverse of what uh, regulators were hoping to do after the global financial crisis, which was to reduce the risk in the big banks? Well, that's true. But I don't know if any kind of uh, regulation can make any kind of quick result in a positive direction. Stuart, I think your suggestion about limiting withdrawals could itself trigger uh, panic because uh, people would uh, perhaps say, well, my goodness, there must be something that I don't know. And, um, you know, already I've seen some financial advisors say, Spread out your deposits. I mean, what we're revealing is there's a tremendous amount of money in the top 10% of the American public. And they're spreading that around. We've learned that all of these deposits are essentially guaranteed. But I think it's very difficult to, one, imagine that there could be some congressional action to remedy the situation because there's no consensus on how you would remedy it. And secondly, there's no regulatory remedy that we are immediately aware of either so this is a problem yes and, and i think the fact that there is a, a, a sort of cast iron 100 percent guarantee on the deposits being done by the fdic um is in itself part of the problem um there are uh, you know hong kong monetary authority for example places a limit on the amount of guarantee it will provide the uk um uh, Bank of England similarly places a limit on the amount of guarantee of deposits um, made to banks. Uh, so the FDIC's sort of open-ended, we'll guarantee everything, is is itself causing the problem uh, in the United States. And of course, a lot of these banks are holding portfolios of treasury bonds, which is part of the problem, isn't it, with huge losses? I mean, First Republic had... Uh, I think it was about $500 million worth of losses on its portfolio of treasuries. There must be plenty of other banks out there and not just in the US, all over the world with the same problem. And, and that that's not going to be helped by further, incre- in, further increases in interest rates, which I'm sure you want to talk about. Peter. I want to talk about right now, because <laughs> uh, the Fed's about to raise interest rates by 25 basis points. According to the Fed Watch, 92% chance of that uh, happening. It's going to take the Fed funds rate to 5% to 5.25%. That's the largest level uh, since 2007. 
Although Fed officials and markets do remain rather at odds over what happens after that, the Fed is expecting interest rates to remain around those levels for the rest of the year. Uh, investors in the markets are betting on 50 basis points of rate cuts uh, before the uh, before the end of the year. I mean, um, Barry, people are hoping or investors are hoping that after Thursday, when we get this decision, we'll have a lot more clarity about what's going to happen afterwards. We all know there's going to be a 25 basis point rate increase on Wednesday. Do you think we're going to get that clarity about what will happen next? I hope so. And I suspect the answer is yes. I think the Fed is um, at the end. It's got to be because uh, there's going to be a concern about driving the economy into recession. You know, you've had now, this will be the 10th rate increase in 12 months. We have never had this level of rate increases so quickly in 40 years. 40 years. We had come off a period in which you had very low inflation for 20 years. The economy, that includes all the businesses and consumers, we're not used to this rapid increase in rates. And we haven't yet seen the worst of it in terms of credit card fees going up, in terms of the interest rate you pay on all of the loans, mortgage loans, etc. So I think it's uh, getting to the danger zone. And yes, I think it's going to happen because the inflation rate is stubbornly high. It's coming down, but not as fast as the Fed wants it to. But I cannot imagine there's going to be further rate increases, nor can I imagine there's going to be any rate decreases. Um, again, I want to disagree with you, Barry. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, I, I, I think that we will see more rate increases if, if the Fed only increases by 25 basis points. Um, if the Fed is bold enough, it might go for 50 to try to choke off any further issues but i think that if it doesn't then 25 basis points will mean that there will be at least one more interest rate increase in the next few months and that's that's more or less expected now by many in the market and any any thought at all of a decrease in interest rates is being put out the window but but here's the problem um, yes it might be getting into nosebleed territory for some of the people involved but for old stages like you and me, we've seen interest rates in double digits. So it's mm-hmm. not really that bad. Um, and and it's, it's, the, it's the principle of, of, of the rate increase rate. In other words, how, how fast it has occurred. And the fact that many of the people, uh, particularly in their home loans and personal businesses, have never, never experienced interest rates this high. And, and they're, they've got a, a degree of uncertainty. Um, and dare I say it, many in the media who, who write about this will have little experience of this too. So that's why you're getting quite a lot of um, negative reports that, that come out with, with all this. But um, I come back to the issue. Um, I, I think interest rates are going to go up some more. I don't know whether that will stop at um, another 50 basis points because we still haven't got um, – inflation is not under control anywhere in the world um, and, and we've still got many geopolitical problems that are going on which is causing global economies to have a problem. And, and until some of these geopolitical problems are resolved, um, that is going to continue to be an overhang on – on the thinking of um, policymakers. 
That isn't the, one of the problems that the Fed itself is is now rather divided about what happens next. You've got some officials taking a very hawkish stance, saying that interest rates just aren't restrictive enough at the moment. And then you've got others who are saying we need to pause and let's assess what the impact has been of these last 10 rate hikes. Uh, Yes, that's true, Peter. But, you know, that consensus on raising rates, which has occurred over the past 12 months, you're suggesting, and I think you're right, that that could be breaking up. However, the increasing pressure on the Federal Reserve to stop. And I think that if the economy slows, let alone goes into recession, then you're going to see real pressure on the Federal Reserve to quickly reverse course. So we shall see. What you say is persuasive, Stuart. But uh, if the economy goes into recession, if you begin to see some real, well, significant corporate failures, for example, then I think the Fed is going to be under pressure to uh, quickly reverse and even go back to quantitative easing. Yeah, and, and if that is if that is in the thinking of the Fed, Barry, then the likelihood of them making it a 50 basis point rise rather than a 25 basis point rise increases because it gives them more room to manoeuvre. I'm wondering, Stuart and Barry, is there the possibility that we might have Uh, have in the US something even worse than a recession, um, and that's stagflation. And I say that because I'm looking at uh, the ISM manufacturing survey, which came out um, overnight. The PMI is at 47.1. So basically, it's in uh, contraction uh, territory. The prices paid components jumped to 53.2, quite a big jump from 49.2. It seems the data is just not helping the Fed at the moment because this inflation is very sticky, isn't it? It's not coming down. Yeah, um, it is. But at the same time, don't forget the trend line, Peter, down. Yes, there are sticky elements to this, but the trend line down. And I don't think stagflation is in the cards because that would imply that inflation is going to to, to rise again. And I, I just don't see any sign of that. I don't see any demands for great wage increases uh, that are that are pervasive in the economy. I think that more people are now worried about a, a slowing economy. I agree with you, Barry, for the first time this morning. Um, Thank you. Thank you, Stuart. <laughs> yes, I, uh, inflation is the problem, um, and inflation is being caused by higher fuel prices, higher food prices, and um, and these are the things that are being caused by the geopolitical issues. Now, it, it does mean that people will need to spend a lot more effort in trying to resolve these geopolitical issues, particularly Ukraine and then um, global relationships between um, Russia, the United States, China, etc. All this needs to happen, and it needs to happen very quickly. And, mm. and I don't think, um, and, and that's where the pressure should be exerted, if at all possible. Well, we've been joined by Richard Harris, the CEO of Port Shelter Investment Management. Morning, morning, Richard. Good morning. Um, look, we've been talking about the Fed. Um, let's get your thoughts, first of all. 25 basis point rate hike uh, looks almost certain, doesn't it? But what we were discussing is what happens afterwards? Are we going to get any clarity at all about where interest rates go after that? And also, is there a risk that we might see stagflation in the US? Well, I think the Fed's been performing a little bit like a junior fund manager. You know, every time they see a piece of news, they react. They're not ready 
appeared to be reacting in advance. And in, in fact, in some ways, I was uh, almost surprised that they actually continued to increase 25 basis points because there's been quite a lot of talk about how much rates have gone up. Um, but I think that the most likely scenario is that they're going to stick about 25 basis points for now. We are seeing some slightly more gloomy information coming out on the economy. Um, and uh, but, but, you know, Labour still seems to be moderately strong. Uh, apart from the firings in areas that, that hired during COVID. Um, so I think this, this particular cycle is going to die hard. It's still going to take some time to come through. Um, and the Fed is just terrified of uh, upsetting the upper card. Do you think it's going to end in recession? I, yes, uh, almost certainly, I think. I mean, interesting, interestingly enough, looking at Peter Lewis Money Talk notes yesterday, uh, it was getting quite clear, I think, that we're seeing slowdowns, um, you know, in quite a firm way, slowdown in China, slowdown in the US. Uh, I mean, people are saying uh, Europe is getting close there. The UK, I think a lot of people are now saying is in recession. Uh, so I think the picture is looking quite bad. And I think the only argument now is how much how deep is it going to be? Mm. Well, let, let me move on to China. Um, we saw uh, the PMI data, the manufacturing PMI data uh, from China unexpectedly showed a, a surprise contraction. The official PMI uh, fell below the 50 line that separates expansion from contraction, uh, fell to 49.2 from the f- previous month's 51.9 reading. However, the non-manufacturing sector uh, is still moving ahead. It came in at 56.4, slightly weaker than April's 58.2, but still very comfortably above the 50 mark that separates expansion from contraction. This seems um, to be a rather unbalanced or getting a more and more unbalanced recovery uh, in in China. What, what do you think, Stuart? Uh, well, it's part of the way in which the Chinese government is trying to move part of the economy away from purely manufacturing to increasing the amount of services that are being provided. Um, I, I think that uh, probably we're talking about April's figures. They're still in a bounce-back mode from COVID. So I think we're going to see quite a lot of variation over the next few months in these figures. Um, May will be difficult because of the Golden Week holiday, so um, it could well see, by the end of May, further falls in in manufacturing numbers. Um, So, yes, but but at the same time, uh, people are out having time off, spending money um, and travelling. So different statistics will show different... um, um, results as a result of the, the the variation in the market that we're we're now beginning to see. It isn't one of the problems that, that re- this so-called revenge spending that you see um, after the pandemic restrictions were list- lifted has a has a short uh, has a short term life, doesn't it? And eventually, it runs out of steam, um, and consumers revert back to being cautious again, or, or even more cautious than they were before. Isn't that what we're seeing? And then, what do you have left to rely on if manufacturing is in contraction? Well, you can well, only risk, you can only have revenge spending once, can't you? Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, that's actually a very important point because, you know, revenge spending is very much a confidence thing. Uh, people coming back in. And I think what's happened in China is that they were under the hammer for so long 
that people actually don't even want to revenge spend because they don't know whether it's going to come back. So um, we've seen almost a reverse psychology. The psychology in Europe and the US and elsewhere was that, oh, great, it's over now. Let's have a good time. In China, it's, well, we don't know if it's going to happen again. So let's, uh, mm. uh, let's uh, keep things tight. I agree with that. Barry, what, what's the impact there? How, how much are officials watching over there? What's, uh, what's happening to the, the Chinese economy and the importance on the U.S.? Well, we don't get any sense here, Peter, that uh, there's a concern about China slowing. We see China as going gangbusters. Um, and I think that the, 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 the discussion in the media and on Capitol Hill is about the difficult relationship geopolitically with China. There's still no indication that a senior uh, administration official is going to be visiting China. So uh, I, I, as long as the United States is going to avoid recession, the demand for Chinese goods is going to remain very high. And by the way, it's high now. So, I, you know, this is a different perspective on this side of the Pacific. Yeah, that's really interesting, in fact, that the narrative about the U.S.-China relations, which, of course, is is really fundamental, uh, is drowning out maybe some of the, the little details, some of the whispers that we're getting from the Chinese mainland. Let me finish by asking you about Hong Kong. Uh, because we're going to get uh, GDP data from uh, from Hong Kong later on uh, this week. We saw a 4.2% contraction in the final quarter of 2022. Economists are forecasting growth of 1% this quarter, although I have seen some economists talking about maybe as much as 5% growth. I mean, Richard, um, wandering around Hong Kong over the weekend, couldn't get into my favourite bar yesterday. <laughs> we seem to have been inundated with tourists again. Do you think things are on the up? How dare they? Uh, the, the, <laughs> some spit in Peter Lewis's seat. Um, yeah, I, I know. Well, the other uh, anecdotal piece of evidence that I found fascinating was I went into the Bank of China the other day to see a teller, which is uh, something I, I try and avoid with banks, like going to the dentist. And um, just to be told there was a 90-minute wait for anybody. Um, and I said, why is that? And they said, because there are so many people opening bank accounts. Well, Hong Kong people have had plenty of opportunity to open bank accounts. So there's probably only one source of that money. So I think that in addition to that, we're also seeing people look just to have maybe a, a, a quote, safe haven, unquote, bank account outside China. So it does seem there is an impression, I think, that Hong Kong probably is, is going to be the one place that might benefit. I, I agree. I think the Hong Kong economy is bouncing back. It's bouncing back because it's it's getting the tourists back. Um, we've had, uh, they'd say, over 600,000 over this um, May Day holiday weekend visit. They're undoubtedly spending money. What I, what I think is more interesting is that uh, many of the tourists are not here simply to go shopping they want to go and see the sights of hong kong according to according to uh, many of the interviews <laughs> yeah and, um, I, and that will probably spread the joy and wealth a little bit wider than probably has occurred in the past where most of the tourists that arrive in hong kong are bussed around to um, one discount jewelry uh, shop to another discount jewelry shop um, i think and, the and concern the concern is that really the demand's coming from one source, and that's China. Um, yeah. 
And, and Hong Kong does want to be a global center. You know, it, it, it needs to compete against Singapore. That's really why it was built. And, um, uh, well, I'd argue, Richard, that just before Easter, certainly, I, I, when I was around um, Central in Hong Kong and other places, there were a lot of international tourists then being grouped up and, and, and visiting different locations. Um, the number of... Uh, European languages I heard was quite wide so I think that um, I think there are more people coming from more different places the the fact of the matter is though that China has in historically represented about 90% of our tourist in, inflows and um, that's that's the the number that we might well get back to eventually by the end of the year it's uh, international business people I wonder about because there's still I know people are still finding a great di of difficulty hiring, bringing international business people in. Uh, yeah. And, of course, um, the Hong Kong government is very keen to get international business people in now. Mm. Okay. But Zoom has made a big difference in that respect, and, and people don't need to be physically here. They, um, uh, they, they just need to be able to see each other to talk. Well, thank you all very much. Good to hear your thoughts this morning. That was uh, Asia Fund Management Industry Consultant Stuart Hawcroft. You also heard Richard Harris, who's Chief Executive Officer at Port Shelter Investment Management and over in Washington, D.C., and was our international economics correspondent, Barry Wood. Thank you very much indeed for listening this morning. Do please join me again tomorrow morning for Money Talk. And also, before that, don't forget to take a look at my daily newsletter, which is at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. A lot more information there about what's going on in business and financial markets. And I'll have more updates for you tomorrow. Joining me to discuss them are capital preservation specialist Enzio von Feil and Will Denyer, US economist at Gavacal. And we're also going to talk about Asia's frontier markets with Rushir Desai of Asia Frontier Capital. See you tomorrow. Money Talk. 